Hello everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when The Office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hey everyone. Today we will be discussing Season 4, Episode 1, Fun Run. And in this episode, an accident happens at the office, the office gets some exercise, and the inevitable happens. We start this episode off with a cold open, which gives us a little look at kind of the fallout of the last episode of Season 3. So if you recall, that episode centered around the interviews for the corporate job, which ended with Michael withdrawing his name from consideration even after he was told he was no longer being considered for the job. Jim stranding Karen in New York and returning to Scranton and Ryan being given the job at corporate. So we see Michael getting ready for the day at work and he is just kind of talking about how great of a day it is and how happy he is and says that he and Jan are now living together in his condo, which I guess he got back. Yeah, at the end of the previous episode, the end of the season finale, Michael said he was going to back out of the eBay sale, even though it was going to hurt his seller score. And he offered to let Jan stay there for a little bit. Jan took that opportunity to just say, okay, let's just move in. My full-time job will be our relationship. So apparently that is what has happened. Jan has moved into Michael's condo. He says that she made him breakfast. In actuality, she just bought him the soy milk for his cereal. And he opens the door to the bedroom and she's just sprawled out of the bed sleeping. And he says, this is why he does it. She won't be up for a couple more hours. So Jan is really living the life, so to speak, kind of off of Michael. As Michael drives into work, He says it's going to be a very good year. They have Jim back. Andy and Dwight rock the sales team. His protege Ryan is at corporate. He just feels so blessed. And as he's saying all these things, he's looking to his right at the camera. Unbeknownst to him, Meredith was walking into the building as he is pulling in and he hits her with his car. Getting into the main part of the episode, we see more of... What has developed from the last episode? And this all centers around Jim and Pam. At the end of the last episode, Jim essentially asks Pam out on a date. Yes. And there is now some rumblings around the office of, are they dating or not? They seem to be kind of back to their old ways of just spending a lot of time together uh, in the office Jim at Pam's desk, sitting together in the break room, eating lunch together, things like that. So people are taking notice and talking about this in the office. And Jim is directly asked by the camera crew sort of what happened with Karen. And he says he broke up with Karen after the job interview. And then there's a sort of flashback moment to Karen standing in the kitchen yelling at Jim who I I guess seemingly the way we're supposed to infer this is that she caught him at the office like there was some sort of confrontation at the office 
could it have centered around the fact that he stranded her three hours from home? Well, what I'm saying is just the timing problem. It looks like Jim is wearing the exact same thing he wore in the interview, and his hair is styled that way. Karen is wearing the similar pantsuit, but her hair is now down. Also, it's three hours from New York to Scranton, so there's always sometimes they've always misplay that time frame of just driving and distance. So I can't tell if we're supposed to believe that Karen somehow made her way back and tracked him down at the office and then let him know no because the way Jim tells it he broke up with her but if you're Karen you're dumping his ass for stranding you in New York City so you can ask out somebody else yeah so anyways all that kind of TV inconsistency to say that Karen's initial response to Jim was you know what suck it up buddy I'm still gonna be here I worked too hard for my career but apparently her desk was cleaned out the next day now we'll find out what happens to Karen uh, later this season actually but Karen Filippelli is no longer a regular character on the show Jim finishes up his summary of life post interview by saying that he's single and looking so if you know anyone to let him know and there is a moment here with Pam in this episode that makes me angry as a member of Team Karen. She is having a one-on-one -on -one with the camera and she talks about how she is there for Jim and kind of helped talk him through his breakup and that she is glad that they are friends now. And she is entirely too happy about this when she is talking about it. They are both quite giddy. Like she is not... She's not happy for Jim at all. She's happy for herself. True, and we find out why, like, as the episode advances. A true friend would not be taking joy in the fact that you broke up with somebody. Yeah. If, unless they were an extremely toxic person. A true friend might kindly point out to Jim how poor of a move it was that he left his girlfriend at the time stranded in New York City. Uh-huh. But, you know, Pam's been stranded at a minor league hockey game before, so, you know, moving on to Jim isn't really that big of an issue for her. She used to being disappointed by substandard men. So You're so mean. Whatever. I think it is also very telling that Jim has his old haircut in this episode. It's not necessarily that. It's not as, like, shaggy. It's just not well, style. Well, duh, because he got his haircut. Right. Like, it's shorter than it usually it used to be. It's just not style. Yeah, he's back to, eh, whatever, Jim. <laughs> so there continues to be this debate around the office, mostly between Oscar and Kevin, as to whether or not Jim and Pam are together. Jim and Pam, publicly, are denying the fact that they are dating. Yeah, this is sort of weird to me and definitely uh, received a lot of criticism from TV critics at the time that this was super secretive. And it wasn't until the film crew, the documentary crew, catches... Pam picking up Jim and then they kiss when Jim gets into the car and then the documentary crew confronts if you will 
Jim and Pam with this evidence. And Jim is still continuing to deny it as like, oh, you can edit anything. And they're both sort of speechless for a while. But then Pam finally admits that she gave him a ride because they're dating. And then she says it's going really well. They're both like super excited by it. Yeah. And to me, it's kind of like a who cares type thing. Like I understand them not wanting to make it a big thing in the office but like the whole thing with the film crew catching them and then showing them this it's mm-hmm. not like they caught them I don't know, stealing or whatever or cheating they're not yeah. in relationships with other people yeah so it's kind of like a okay so what and i guess yeah. like in the scope of this documentary that's being shot maybe that's a big deal but to us the show viewer it's like okay so what yeah it feels really odd given that we saw jim ask pam out it feels like just a weird heavy-handed sort of thing instead of just an easy admittance of yeah this has worked out it's going well so it just feels like an odd touch and i'll admit this whole episode is a fun one but it does sort of drag a bit in places and the storylines aren't super coherent and it's hard to wait for this tidbit of information until the annex because we are talking about the meat of the episode but one of the reasons for this dragging and this maybe incoherency you could say is this was really meant to be two separate episodes so the runtime on this is 42 minutes So what happened is 19 half-hour episodes were shot. Then the Writers Guild of America went on strike, and this is 2007 to 2008. Steve Carell, as a member of the Writers Guild, was not going to cross picket lines. So what they had to do was combine a lot of the already shot episodes So this was episode one and two combined to just be one episode. And you can see where that clear break is. And really what would have been the end of episode one, the wrap up of the season premiere, was finding out that Jim and Pam are dating. And on Netflix, which is how we are watching this, obviously, there is only 16 or so, 14 episodes in this yeah, it's, it's a much shortened season. So obviously, like you said, since they shot 19, they kind of have to piece together. Obviously, you're not going to get 19 episodes out of that. So, yeah. Which is, I guess, kind of weird. Why would you not just stick with 19 episodes I, rather than... If I recall, this happened with, obviously, all TV shows at the time. There was just an effort to get something. Um, I think, you know, the part of NBC and the production companies, there's an effort to get whatever you can out of it so we don't have a halloween episode we don't have a christmas episode uh for this season and then a lot of the episodes are um you know about 42 minutes until we get towards the back half and it's not a bad season by any means but what you do get like i said is just this sort of trying to put together 42 minutes of what should have just been two completely separate things The main focus of this episode is the fallout of Michael hitting Meredith with his car. 
I think one of the funniest moments, though, is how Michael tells the rest of the office that Meredith was hit by a car and is in the hospital. He comes in much later. We've talked about this before. Someone's always coming in a little bit late for narrative convenience, but this time he's late because he literally had to take Meredith to the hospital. First thing he says is, you know, everybody got to tell you Meredith was hit by a car. And Andy asked, oh my God, did you see who did it? And everyone is at first thinking, thank God Michael was in the parking lot. He was able to help her straight away. It turns out Meredith has a crack in her pelvis uh, from where the car struck her. Dwight instantly says, no need, we'll just check the security tapes, which is actually probably lucky because Michael was probably going to try to get away with it. And this is where he says, you know, good news, bad news situation. I was able to be on the scene so quickly because I was in the car that hit her. And Jim is like, uh, who was driving? And Michael doesn't say anything. He just like cringes and everyone's like, oh God. And people are obviously upset and, and annoyed and just like, seriously, Michael, we toe the line of bad Michael in this episode. I would agree. He goes through a cycle here, which is very narcissistic. And yeah. he goes through three stages in this episode. And the first stage is focusing on the wrong things about Meredith getting hit by the car. He is not concerned about Meredith's well-being or the fact that he hit with his car not at all he's concerned with what everybody thinks of him because he hit meredith with his car right to that end when he's talking with ryan as the subordinate to ryan's managerial position he's saying hey i got i have to do something to win the affections back of my employees that's all he's concerned about here and when dwight's in his office trying to make him feel better about it Michael is just sort of lamenting. It wasn't even one of the popular people. Why is everyone so upset with me? Pam begins to organize a trip for everyone to go see Meredith in the hospital and starts a collection to be able to get flowers um, and a card for her. When she gets to Angela, Angela says, I can't go. I need to take care of my sick cat, Sprinkles. Well, Pam really lays on the guilt. And this is where we see the brand new Pam, by the way. Where she's like, Angela, you're the head of the party planning committee. I shouldn't even be doing this. This is your job. And Angela, you know, sort of disgusted, but agrees, fine. Dwight does not end up going to the hospital with everybody else at lunchtime because Angela has gotten Dwight to take over the feeding and care duties of Sprinkles while she goes to the hospital as part of her duties for the party planning. And at the hospital... Michael really ramps up the narcissism here because, again, he is not all that focused on Meredith's well-being. He has now changed his focus to how Meredith feels about him. And in the reasoning for this is something that we have talked about on this podcast before, but True. Michael does a really good job of verbalizing it in this episode. Do I need to be liked? Absolutely not. I like to be liked. I enjoy being liked. I have to be liked. But it's not like this compulsive need 
to be liked, like my need to be praised. So Michael is there to get an apology, not an apology, but to get forgiveness from Meredith. In front of everybody. In front of everybody, yes. And Meredith is like, no, I'm not going to do that. You hit me with your car. And another way that Michael's narcissism comes to the front is he makes it very clear how uncomfortable he is in the hospital setting. And he's making it more difficult on Meredith because he tries to tie these Mylar balloons that he's gotten, these get well balloons. He's like, I'll just tie it to your IV, to these tubes here. Pulls out the IV and is like, oh God, oh God. And Meredith's like, don't bother the nurse, just stick it back in there, which is which is gross. Michael's like, I'm going to vomit. It just is, it's just a mess. The whole visit is a mess. And Meredith, rightfully so, is like, oh God, you all came at the same time. Like, great. And then she sort of kicks him out and was like, thanks for visiting everyone. Not that it needed to be a long visit really anyways. And had this not been probably on company property, all that they maybe would have done is send some flowers or send a meal when she came home or something. Once everybody returns to the office, we see Angela and Dwight just talking about how things went taking care of Sprinkles. And when Angela was telling Dwight all the things that needed to be done, you could kind of see it in Dwight's reactions that this was probably not the best job for him to do. Yeah, because it's kind of a lot. She needed her diabetes medication and it had to be rolled, not shaken. She had a fungus under her tail that needed a cream. Omega-3s had to be mixed in with the food. Certain medicine had to be given 15 minutes after she eats. She can't see because of the cataracts. Like This is a seemingly very old and very sick animal that Angela loves. And Dwight's experience with animals pretty much comes from his farming background and he makes it known that when an animal is sick and, as he puts it, worthless, which is what he thinks of cats, <laughs> it's time to put them out of their misery. And so he doesn't quite put it that way to Angela, but he's not exactly all that more comforting. He basically just says, nope, cat's dead. He does not do a good job here. And we know how much Angela loves these cats. Dwight really is is awful here. And it doesn't fit. I guess what upsets me a little bit as a viewer, this doesn't fit Dwight and Angela's relationship. The tidbits we've seen of it so far. We've not seen them in any place but the office acting odd. But Dwight is typically the comforter for Angela. And this is also kind of the first time we see anything out of Angela other than just being cold. Yes. She is visibly upset. She starts crying. Dwight is sort of just kind of like the awkward pat, like there, there sort of thing. Let me get away from this as quickly as I can. And then tells her that he put sprinkles into the freezer because of the odor. So Angela returns to the office and is very upset. She's being consoled by Pam. 
And Michael comes out of his office and sees Angela crying and assumes it's about Meredith. And is just it's it's kind of like when Kevin got news was was worried about the news for his skin cancer and everybody was kind of being like, oh, you know, it's it's gonna be okay. Michael was really downplaying yeah. Kevin's affliction. And so he comes in and is just like, it's not that big of a deal. It's just a cracked pelvis. Why is everybody so upset about it? And Pam says, no, Angela's cat died. And Michael is kind of taken aback and lays out the fact that Meredith got hit by a car. And now Angela's cat that has died. He comes to the conclusion that this office is cursed. And so now... He's passing the blame of hitting Meredith with his car to the supernatural, essentially. Curtis, you've missed the third item as to why the office could possibly be cursed. And that's because to start the episode, we see the IT guy who I'm blanking on his name now. He's sitting at Pam's desk and he's trying to reboot or recover the system. And he says, generally, it's not a good idea to click on some internet offers. Like, what were you trying to get here? Turns out, Pam tried to buy a celebrity sex tape. When Michael's lamenting about Meredith getting hit by a car, Sprinkles dying, his third thing to show that they're cursed is that the computer crashed with the porn. And I can't tell if he means that was the porn computer or because of the porn, the computer crashed. Either way. So he says, oh my God, we are just cursed. Everyone in the conference room so we can talk about this. And before we get to this conference room meeting, I just want to point out, Curtis said that, you know, talking about Michael just classifying Meredith's injury as just this tiny crack. He says this over and over and over. It's just a small crack. It's just this tiny crack in her pelvis. It's not the biggest deal. I mean, if you've ever had a broken hip though, That is a big deal. That's how your body is stabilized in order to walk. So any broken bone is a big deal. And it's just Michael not wanting to take responsibility. And he he also says, you know, he has flaws. What are they? He likes to sing in the shower. Sometimes he spends too much time volunteering. Sometimes he hits people with his car, so sue him. And then he's like, no, don't sue me. That's the opposite point I'm trying to make here. But he really just wants to be absolved of any responsibility. And like we said earlier, he just really badly wants Meredith's forgiveness. During the meeting in the conference room, Michael points out to Dwight that he has not visited Meredith yet. And he needs to go and pay his respects. So Dwight goes to the hospital And this is where he kind of waxes poetic about recognizing as a farmer when an animal needs to be put down. And he's kind of implying that Meredith looks terrible and should be euthanized, essentially. Yeah, and he says with the electricity being used to keep Meredith alive, they could power a small fan for two days. So you tell him what's unethical, which is just sort of absurd. Uh, that's not typically the analogy given and not many people care about small fans for two days. It is during this time that one of the doctors comes into Meredith's room to just kind of check in on her and 
Dwight has taken the liberty of looking at Meredith's chart for himself, and the doctor notices that she has recently had a tetanus shot. And we know the reasoning behind this is because she's recently bit by a bat when Dwight trapped it over her head in last season. Apparently, Meredith did not follow up to get a rabies shot, and the doctor is recommending that as well. Meredith also shares that she has recently been bit by a raccoon and a rat, both in separate incidences. Yeah, it's a little unclear the exact diagnosis because we are getting it sort of secondhand from Dwight to Michael. So it's not clear if Meredith has rabies officially, like she's officially been diagnosed, or if she's at risk because of all these bites. Now, she's not showing any symptoms, but apparently she's being treated for rabies. And the thing that is most important here is that Dwight says, the doctors said, that it's actually a good thing that she came into the hospital because now they can start treating her for rabies. (laughs) And this just makes Michael's day because he is now on part three of his cycle of narcissism, (laughs) which is taking credit for helping Meredith get treated for rabies. Yes, he latches onto this. He says it's a good thing that he hit her with his car. Otherwise, this would have never been discovered. And the curse is broken. He says, curse is broken, everybody. Great job. Good work today. They did nothing. But he feels vindicated because Meredith is in the hospital because of rape. So it is at this point that we kind of see the weirdness of the editing of kind of mashing two episodes together. And we get a shot of Pam answering the phone and she does it in a very odd way. Now, Antoinette, can you, I know you have, don't have it written down. Can you give me the spiel that Pam gives word for word, please? I don't think I'm going to get it word for word, but I'm going to give it my best shot. The Michael Scott Dunder Mifflin Rabies awareness, pro-am, fun run, race for the cure, 5K or something. Oh yeah, Meredith Palmer Memorial. It's a lot of words. And Pam messes it up, kind of like Antoinette did there, because she forgot the pro-am part. And so Michael, you know, probably just did some some Google searching and just threw in all the words he has ever seen that have been affiliated with a 5k run. So the office is hosting a charity 5k run and all the proceeds are going to go towards curing rabies, which of course has already happened. So everybody in the office is tasked with raising money to eradicate rabies and everyone's kind of having a hard time given that this disease has been mostly eradicated. Stanley's having troubles, and it turns out the donations come from Michael. Jan called earlier that day to donate $500. And as Andy points out, isn't that your money? Michael has thrown himself full bore into the charity race mood. <laughs> and he, Pam... Jim and Dwight are having a meeting about 
how this money will be dispersed. And Michael says that he always had in his mind that it would be on a big check, that they're going to hand a big check out to somebody, as you see in charity events sometimes. Or like if you watch the McMillions documentary about the McDonald's thing, like what the what the big winner gets, yeah. those giant checks. Side note, this is not the party planning committee. So this is a very interesting grouping of people that are planning this charity run. Dwight is assuming, because Michael told him, that the run and the money is going towards bat birth control. So he's pretty confused as to what they're actually doing. In addition to the giant check, Michael wants the check to be presented to a rabies doctor. Now, Pam says a rabies doctor doesn't exist. It's probably a like a disease specialist. So Michael asks, what about a rabies nurse? And that's when Jim chimes in, oh, you know what? I know about this thing in which you can hire a nurse by the hour. To make the giant check cost $200, then they have to pay the by the hour nurse. In the end, a check made out to science is presented to Elizabeth, the dancer that we met at Bob Vance's bachelor party back in season three, if you'll recall. I'm going to guess that that check never actually got cashed. No. I mean, because, first of all, that's not a real check. Right. And science is not a real payee. Right. Everyone is kind of preparing themselves for this race in their own way. We see Andy taping up his nipples because he is very, very cautious about nipple chafing, which I can relate to. It's happened before, and it is very painful. Oh, really? Yeah. Poor Kevin didn't bring clothes or sneakers and says he doesn't want to run, but Michael is forcing him to. So he ends up running the race in his work clothes and shoes, which I don't know how he does that. At one point, Pam tries to go into Michael's office to let him know that 5K does not mean 5,000 miles. It means 5,000 kilometers. And so she knocks on... Michael's door, which is closed, shades are drawn, and she hears, come in. And so she goes in, and Michael is changing, and he is bottomless at this point. (laughs) And Pam is obviously horrified. We do see the screen is pixelated, and Pam just closes the door and rushes out. She pulls Jim into the break room and just says that image of his dangling participle is burned into his mind. Now, Michael knocks on the door to the break room, which is conveniently closed. Pam says, come in. Michael's response is, can I enter? And he's like, you see how you do that? You have to wait for the all clear. For some reason, Michael tells Jan that Pam saw his penis and Jan is weirdly jealous and territorial about it even though this was an accidental thing so who knows what michael made it out to be and that's something that we will see come up throughout the rest of the series michael has this very weird spiel to kind of kick off the race and he has a picture of meredith in her hospital bed and says this is the face of rabies He does ask anyone, like, how many people here know someone that's been affected by rabies? Obviously, everyone knows Meredith, so they raise their hand. But it's just this big, long spiel about rabies being the silent killer. 
So they kick off the race and everyone kind of has their own strategy as to how they are going to go about this run. Michael, right before the start of the race, decides to carb load on Fettuccine Alfredo, which is just a terrible idea. Andy lets us know that he has walked two marathons, which just sounds awful. Yeah, that's like seven hours. Yeah. And so he said a 5K won't be a big deal. And his strategy is to draft behind Kevin. So he spends the entire race just kind of like crouching behind Kevin. Michael had Dwight mess with Toby by he was supposed to put X-Lax into Toby's coffee. But instead, he put Imodium into the coffee. Now, Toby said normally during a race like this, he would have to take a break to go to the bathroom, which we've both run 5Ks, and Curtis runs 5Ks still pretty often. It's three miles. You typically should not have to take a break to go to the bathroom. No, that's a weird thing about this whole running sequence is that they are, everyone is dealing with it, and even the kind of how it's written Everyone's dealing with it as if if it is a much longer race than what it actually is. Yeah, almost like it's a marathon. Like, you shouldn't need to carbo load for a three-mile run. That's some people's everyday exercise. The best strategy, however, probably belongs to Stanley, Oscar, and Creed, who, right after the start of the race, hop into a cab and head to a bar to have some beers while everyone else is running. And again, this is one of those things where this is something that would like take significantly. They're they're acting like the race takes much longer than it actually does, because if you were to run three miles, even at like a pretty leisurely pace, that's half an hour. Yeah, even if yeah, if you're going a ten minute pace. It's going to be maybe 32 minutes. So, like, by the time they got to the bar and got a drink, they'd probably, like, it's probably about time for them to leave again. Yeah. And even if you walk three miles, that's maybe a little over an hour. Mm Mm-hmm. So, there's not a ton of time here. Jim and Pam are going at a pretty leisurely pace in the back. Unfortunately, Bill, everyone will come to find that the route was not set up like a typical race course it's just three miles out into all the neighborhoods so jim and pam pass an estate sale and they go in and they buy a lamp and they're just having a real leisurely day because michael did his carbo loading and he refused to drink any water because rabies causes an irrational fear of water and he wanted to stand in solidarity with rabies patients he's having a very hard time finishing this race He's maybe, I don't know, half a mile, quarter of a mile away from the finish line, and he sits on the ground. I don't think he's even that. I think he's a solid, like, 100 meters from the end. I'm pretty sure he could see the finish line. And everyone could see him. Yes, exactly. And so he just has this very weird diatribe about how, like, if he can't finish this race, how is he supposed to stop rabies or stop other things from happening in the world yeah and he's just one man and how can he do all this and pam consoles him by kind of saying 
equally pointless things back to him. <laughs> yes. And it kind of somehow turns, changes Michael's mind, and he gets up and he walks the 100 meters left in the race, and he finishes, and everybody's cheering for him, and Jim gives Michael the lamp that they found at this estate sale as kind of a trophy and Michael is very proud of himself for finishing this race and helping to cure rabies I guess in the end it appears as though Michael has to be hospitalized for dehydration but really it's sort of a narrative convenience type thing so that he can be in the hospital at the same time as Meredith and she wheels into his room and says that she forgives him because she heard how hard that he was trying with the the fun run. While they are running, we kind of get a check-in on the situation between Dwight and Angela. And it is during this time that Angela learns that Dwight has, in fact, killed Angela's cat. Angela found when she went to go check on Sprinkles that all the bags of frozen french fries in her freezer were ripped to shreds so that leads her to believe that sprinkles wasn't in as bad shape as dwight made it out to be so dwight ends up confessing that he saw sprinkles with no quality of life and so as a farmer he did what city folk don't have the stomach to do and he fed her a bunch of antihistamines and he sang her her favorite songs as she fell asleep thinking that had done it. Well, in actuality, I think Sprinkles might have froze to death, unfortunately, in the freezer since she woke up. Angela is just horribly distraught still, and she pretty much ends the relationship sort of snatching her hand away from Dwight and saying, leave me alone. And she is just so upset. And Dwight thinks that things are potentially could still be okay. He offers to pay a taxidermist to have Sprinkles stuffed or to bury her in the East Fields near his mother. And so this is a pretty minor storyline in terms of this episode, but it does turn out to be kind of a major storyline going forward for the rest of this season. And further, I'd say, into the series. A sure. Bit. So that pretty much wraps up this episode. So let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about this episode. So you'll notice that Pam has a new hairstyle. She's no longer wearing the half up look. She's got it fully down with straightened bangs and some curls. And I think it's a nice uh, update here. Yes, it looks like she's trying, which is a nice change for her. The official name of the race is the Michael Scott's Dunder Mifflin Scranton Meredith Palmer Memorial Celebrity Rabies Awareness Pro-Am Fun Run Race for the Cure. And it does take up nearly the entire back of the t-shirt. And you can get that t-shirt out there on the internet. Yeah, you can get it on Amazon and I think the NBC uh, website. Kate Flannery did her own stunts uh, of getting hit by the car. And at first she was sort of flinching when she'd hit the glass, but they kind of got her to to just relax and like think about something else. <laughs> relax by, about getting hit by a car. And she did get bruises on her arms because they had to film it kind of multiple times, but she was pretty well able to do that. And like I said, this was a shortened season uh, due to that writer's strike. 
Curtis, do you have no? Curtis, so we covered a couple firings, but what of our what are our total firings? Well, one person doesn't really get fired, but for the sake of this show, they are no longer a part of the office, Correct. which is Karen. Pam gets fired for trying to buy a celebrity sex tape from her work computer. The things people did in the early 2000s on their work computers. It is her first firing of the season. It's her fourth overall. And Michael gets fired for, if not for hitting Meredith with his car, but then for bringing up then for asking people what religion they follow in the conference room meeting that we see in the middle of this episode. Yeah, in order to ascertain like why they're cursed or something, it didn't seem to be necessary, but not something you can do at work. Right. It is his first firing this season. It's his 27th overall. Antoinette, do you have a Dundee to give out? Yes, my Dundee is the Most Persuasive Argument Award, and that goes to Michael. Uh, When they are trying to coordinate rides to the hospital to visit Meredith at lunch, Michael says that he's willing to take a couple people in his car. Stanley's like, "Uh, you can't be serious. You hit a woman with your car this morning. Michael's response is, everyone in the car was fine, Stanley. And the best part of that scene is if you look just slightly under Steve Carell, because he's standing up and just right in front of him, John Krasinski's sitting there eating his lunch. And he just does the, you know, shoulder shrug, like, come on, don't you agree, Stanley? Sort of look in jest. What is your award? The false statement award goes to Michael. When the 5K starts, Michael goes out real hard passing everybody and everybody's like yeah all right michael good job and michael says he's like forrest gump except he's not an idiot and i would argue that yes you are in fact an idiot for multiple reasons in this episode alone um eating pasta immediately before a race starts and then his whole thing and we didn't talk about it in this in the during the podcast but when they are in the conference room talking about religions and he is saying who did we worship before there were gods and he is just lists off all these like animal combinations of it's a body of a walrus and the head of a sea lion or the body of an egret and it's like a four or five minute long thing where he's just rambling on and it's just like you are so dumb. Like Yeah, he's thinking of like a sphinx or a hippogriff. Yeah, like that's like that that's an Andy Dwyer move of just being like, but or what about this? Or what about this? And it's just like, this is pointless. You're an idiot. Yeah, it's sort of just rambling. Who is your employee of the month? Uh, I chose Toby since he ended up winning the 5K, and unfortunately he had to be the first to figure out that it wasn't a complete circle that goes to the office, so we're all going to have to end up walking back. I also chose Toby for winning the 5K, and I just like it any time that Toby can stick it to Michael, because (laughs) Michael was making fun of Toby at the beginning of the race because he was stretching. 
as that you know as somebody should probably do before they're about to run three miles and also because michael tried to mess with toby and it backfired on him right so that does it for the first episode of season four something i did notice in this episode is that we do kind of get some development some further development of kind of the secondary characters again we see daryl for the first time in a while Mm -hmm. speaking of daryl watch we're gonna have to do daryl watch from now on he did not get fired so the podcast lives on true that is true Uh, but we do see daryl stanley gets more lines in this episode than i think he's probably ever had yeah phyllis didn't really have very many but stanley definitely did and as i mentioned before angela now becomes the focus of one of the main storylines and so her character kind of gets a lot of development in this episode alone where we see that she's a crazy cat lady mm-hmm. and that she like that's essentially the only thing that she cares deeply about is her cats so that does it for the episode please follow us on twitter at downsizing pod to get all the latest updates and be sure to listen to us on spotify google podcasts apple podcasts wherever you're listening to us Please be sure to rate, subscribe, like, and comment wherever you can in order to get our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you guys next time. Bye.